This is the Therapy in a Nutshell podcast. I'm Emma McAdam, a licensed marriage and family therapist. These episodes are filled with research-backed therapeutic education that you can start applying in your life today. I hope you find today's episode beneficial, and if you know of someone who could benefit from this podcast, please don't hesitate to share it. Let's work together and share tools everyone can use to help deal with the difficult mental health struggles they're going through. Each podcast episode comes from a corresponding video. You can find them on the Therapy in a Nutshell YouTube channel. Also, these podcasts are educational and don't replace the advice or direction you may be receiving from a therapist or other health professionals. Please enjoy the episode. Sometimes when I teach a mental health skill like how exercise treats depression or how mindfulness is a powerful tool to decrease anxiety, people will tell me, oh, that's cool but I have clinical depression. And what they usually mean by that is that they've been diagnosed with depression and they assume that their diagnosis means that their depression is a biological trait, a genetic trait, or it's something inherent, or it's a chemical imbalance, that it's part of their being or their identity. And they assume that it's going to be a permanent characteristic that they just cope with for their entire life. Now, this is a misunderstanding of how mental health diagnoses work. We have this interesting problem in America where we've applied the medical model to mental health and it's created a lot of learned helplessness. In our attempts to remove the stigma from mental health, many people have come to believe that all mental illnesses are permanent genetic traits. And it's just not true. Anxiety disorders, depression, trauma, and many other mental health conditions are really, really treatable. Now, I saw this in action when I worked in residential treatment. Clients would come in with severe depression, anxiety, trauma, and sometimes a bunch of other co-occurring diagnoses like substance use, learning differences, learning disorders, eating disorders, and, and more, right? Like many of my clients had six or eight diagnoses. And one of these programs did robust testing before and after treatment and found that at discharge, 93% of clients they no longer met the criteria for depression or the issue that they originally came to treatment for. We also found that many of these results lasted for years after treatment. We, we saw people change in a massive way. They became so much healthier and happier. Now, granted, in residential treatment, these clients were getting literally hundreds of interventions a week, from a daily schedule to exercise to nutrition to medical treatment. They got tons of support from professionals, right? But you can create these changes too, little by little, as you apply one new skill at a time. So for many people, depression, anxiety, or PTSD can be completely resolved. And for others, the symptoms can be greatly reduced. Research shows that over 30% of people recover from depression without any treatment within six to eight weeks, and 80% recover within a year. So in this video, we're gonna talk about what a mental health diagnosis really means and how an accurate understanding can open doors for you to change. Okay, let's start with a story. Once upon a time, there was a huge elephant. This elephant was super strong. He could uproot enormous trees and lift heavy logs. However, despite his extraordinary abilities, the elephant was held captive by a small rope tied around one of his legs. Now, one day a traveler approached the elephant's keeper and asked why this mighty creature didn't break free from this seemingly flimsy rope that held him back. The keeper explained, when the elephant was very young, we used a similar rope to tie him up. At that age, the rope was strong enough to hold it back. And as the elephant grew, he never realized his own strength. He believed that he could never leave because of the rope. 
The truth is that this elephant had the ability inside to break free from this rope easily, but because he didn't believe that he could, he never did. This story is an example of learned helplessness. That baby elephant couldn't break the rope when he was tiny. And just like that, many people get overwhelmed by depression or anxiety when they don't have the support, the resources, or the skills. But unfortunately, many people believe that they will never be able to overcome depression or anxiety. And because they believe they can't, they don't. Okay, let's talk about where this huge misunderstanding came from. Let me give you an example of a diagnosis from the medical model. So let's say you have symptoms like vomiting or diarrhea, body aches and chills, and the doctor sees you and swaps your throat, the lab runs the test and diagnoses you as having the flu. That medical diagnosis means that the influenza virus is what's causing your symptoms. Now, if on the other hand, you have symptoms like sadness, low energy, frequent crying spells, and you're feeling hopeless and suicidal, right? If you went to your doctor and you had at least five out of nine of these symptoms, he would diagnose you with depression. But what's different about mental health diagnoses is that when they say you have depression, they're not telling you anything about the cause of your symptoms. They're telling you this cluster of symptoms, we in the scientific community, we call it depression, but we don't know what is causing it for you. They may give you a survey or an assessment that ranks your symptoms on a numerical scale with a clinical cutoff. So for example, if you take the Beck depression inventory and your score is over 20, you have moderate depression or higher, right? But again, all that's telling you is that you have these symptoms. It doesn't tell you the cause. A depression diagnosis is not the cause of your symptoms. It's the outcome of your symptoms. Now, right now, we have a very limited way of understanding the individual biological factors that lead to depression. No doctor is going to scan your brain or extract brain fluid to diagnose depression. So the medical model doesn't perfectly fit mental health, and I think it confuses a lot of people. Many mental health professionals prefer the biopsychosocial model. So to explain this, I'm going to use depression as an example, but this really applies to most, most mental health conditions. So one of my favorite conceptualizations of depression is drawn from Dr. Charles Reza. He's a psychiatrist, a professor of psychiatry, and the co-author of the book, The New Mind-Body Science of Depression. And I'm going to summarize what he says. He says, Depression doesn't exist as a single thing or cause. Its causes are incredibly complex. It may be 1,000 different disease states. It does exist, it is a real experience, and it's common to all the societies across the world, including hunter-gatherers. He says, depression is the most common way humans break down under adversity. Now, I would, I would change that just a little bit, and I would say the depression response is actually a chance for our body to rest and heal and recover and try something new when what we've been trying seems hopeless. So I take a little bit different approach to it, but this is how he describes it. And I believe that humans are actually inherently very resilient. We can handle a lot of adversity, but when your mind and body get overwhelmed, it's like your body shifts into this shutdown state for self-protection. And depression has many contributing factors. And in my change of brain course, you'd learn that for some people, their depression is contributed to by a nutrient deficiency or by a lack of sleep. And for other people, their thoughts and actions lead to feeling hopeless or overwhelmed. Things like childhood trauma, 
abuse and faulty thinking can also contribute to depression, but so can things like inflammation and allergies and loneliness. Then we also know that genetics are involved. So twin studies have shown us that depression is around 35% heritable, meaning that there's around a 35% chance that your genes are contributing to your depression. The estimates for anxiety are similar. They're somewhere between 27 and 40%. Now, for some other mental health disorders, genes play a much bigger role. Research indicates that a genetic predisposition for depression might get turned on by life circumstances like abuse or trauma. But if 35% of depression is genetic, that also means that about 65% of the rest of contributing factors has to do with other causes. Now, this is actually really hopeful because when we can decrease just a few of these hits, we can actually often overcome depression. Now, we know that medication helps around 65% of people reduce the symptoms of depression. Our research shows us that there are a ton of other effective treatments for depression too. So when we improve social connection or physical health, when we change thinking patterns or process trauma or improve nutrition, all of these factors can tip the scale toward no longer meeting the criteria for a diagnosis. Anxiety disorders are similar. They're caused by a combination of factors, and we can treat various aspects of anxiety from the biological side of things to the psychological and behavioral side of things. So please don't automatically assume if you get a mental health diagnosis that this is permanent. Don't assume that you're stuck feeling this way forever. It's just not the case, and it's not what a mental health diagnosis really means. What I'd like for people to know is that a mental health diagnosis does not mean you have this or you are this. It means you are experiencing this. Because a diagnosis doesn't tell you the cause, it doesn't say you have this gene and here's the cause. When we reduce or eliminate the symptoms of depression or anxiety, you no longer qualify for the diagnosis. So what I'm saying is that mental illness isn't always permanent. When we fuse our identity with our diagnosis, when we label ourselves as a depressed person or an anxious person, we limit our options. We create learned helplessness. And just like that elephant, we tie ourselves down. We limit our potential simply because we don't believe our life could be different than it is. And you'll see this when people who have over-identified with their diagnosis, they might have a bad day and they might say, oh, why is life so unfair? Why do I have to feel this way? Why do I feel so depressed? Why does it make me feel so awful? Instead of a more flexible approach where they maybe look at what caused the bad day and explore what options you have to make your life better. So when people use their diagnosis as an explanation for why they feel the way they do, it simply limits their options. Please don't resign yourself to just giving up to feeling miserable for the rest of your life. Tiny changes can add up over time to huge results. So I would just say like, let's keep chipping away at it. You don't know what you don't know. There's so many options for treatment. Like let's learn what some of them are and try them out. I do wanna say depression is real. It's not a weakness. It does have biological contributing factors. And by me saying like, we're gonna shift away from this medical model, it doesn't mean that mental illness isn't real. It is real. And most of the people I work with are doing everything they know to make things better but the things they've tried in the past just aren't working. Um, I wanna clarify, mental illness is not laziness, it's not a moral failure, but it's also not your identity. Now, some mental illnesses are chronic, but that's just not the first assumption I would make about a case of depression, anxiety, or PTSD. It's also not inherent to who you are. I see it more as being about a lack of resources 
You just don't know what skills can help you to overcome your challenges. I would say it's certainly not helpful to blame yourself or beat yourself up for the way that you're feeling. You say, let's take a step back and just ask, is there something that you can do that's going to improve your life? If your gut reaction to that question is like, I'm offended, then it's possible you've over-identified with your diagnosis. Instead, hold labels and diagnoses flexibly. Use a diagnosis when it's helpful for you, but don't cling to it so tightly that it limits your options. Explore multiple treatment options before deciding that your situation is chronic. Again, if you do have a mental health diagnosis, please don't resign yourself to just coping with it or feeling miserable for the rest of your life. There is so much that can be done to resolve the symptoms and sometimes the cause of mental illness. You really can learn the skills to get better at feeling and change your life. Um, this video is day seven of my Break the Anxiety Cycle in 30 Days course. If you'd like to watch the entire course um, without ads, with all the bonus exercises, with the workbook and the live Q&As, please check out the link in the description. And um, again, thank you so much for watching and take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found something you can add to your daily routine that makes your life just a little bit better. If you want to learn more about topics like how to process tough emotions, how to change your brain, how to build better relationships, or support someone you know with a mental illness, then check out my classes at therapyinanutshell.com. And if you feel like these podcasts have been a benefit to you, please leave a rating so others can more easily find this content. Thank you so much and have a great day.